Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Charles Sabansi from the Dreamers Pro Show, and we want to welcome you guys to the Dreamers Pro Podcast, where we cover everything from sports, hot topics, classic debates, entertainment, and where we give you guys a fresh perspective on things and how we see them. Now, let's get started with the first topic of today's show. Uh, just was just actually getting ready to shoot, and then I came across an article here uh, from one of the websites I just recently discovered that I absolutely love. Uh, which is called Front Office Sports. I really love the work that they do. They have some very, very cleanly written uh, articles. I just like everything about that website, at least so far. The, you know the the work that I've that I've um, that I've seen. So anyway, I was coming, uh, you know, going through the internet quickly, and something said, "Let me just check this website. I mean, I may, may, may see something interesting before we start uh, sh- shooting videos here today." Then I came across an article, which was pre- basically on the front page, and it said, "JJ Redick emerges as the front runner for ESPN's." top NBA broadcasting team. And I was like, wow, really? Now, for those of you who have maybe been living under a rock recently, ESPN just laid off some of his front-facing talent named, you know, names with the likes of Jalen Rose, Jeff Van Gundy, uh, Keyshawn Johnson, Max Kellerman, right? They laid off some pretty big names and and a bunch of others, by the way. Those are just the ones that come to my mind at the moment. And in, and in the same vein, they, they they also brought in Pat McAfee. You see that they're trying to find a way to kind of reorganize themselves. I was just recently reading an article again from Front Office Sports where Bob Iger, the CEO of Disney, was basically saying that they, they're re- reorganizing their business and they're potentially looking at um, finding a new partner uh, to, to establish a, a strategic uh, partnership. So then we hear this news, which means that, wait a minute. J.J. Reddick is going to be one of the people that's going to be retained at the network. And I think that, listen, J.J. Reddick, number one, has his own audience uh, from the old man in the three, his own podcast. So he's actually bringing something tangible to the table. It's not just he's there utilizing the platform. He's actually bringing value to the table, which I believe is the way to go into the future. If you're not doing that, then you don't know what the hell is going on. Right. Okay, so let me get into this article here. It says, J.J. Reddick has zoomed to the top of the contenders list to join ESPN's top NBA game broadcast team, sources tell front office sports. Reddick, fellow ESPN analysts Doris Burke and Richard Jefferson and four-time NBA uh, head coach, four-time NBA head coach Doc Rivers, all are all in play to possibly succeed the laid-off Jeff Van Gundy, sources tell. They will join the returning number one game team of analysts, Mark Jackson, and play-by-play announcer Mike Breen. Front Office Sports previously pegged Reddick as a contender for the job. Columnist Chad Finn of the Boston Globe speculated the new booth could be Rivers, Burke, and Breen. The question of ESPN is whether it wants to continue a three-person broadcast booth for its top NBA games, that's unusual in today's sports media climate, or install a two-person booth along the lines of ESPN's Monday Night Football duo of Troy Aikman and Joe Buck. If Reddick gets the top analysts, it will mark a meteoric rise at ESPN for the 39-year-old sharpshooter. The all-time leading scorer at Duke University only joined ESPN during the 2021-2022 season after a 15-year career in the NBA. But the smart, savvy Reddick has shown his willingness to give big opinions while throwing elbows on air with ESPN star Stephen A. Smith Kendrick Perkins and Kendrick Perkins. He's worked game and studio NBA analysis for ESPN while co-starring on shows such as Smith's First Take. Then again... 
the talented Doris Burke has earned her shot at the number one NBA announce uh, at the number one NBA announce team. She's called the NBA Finals on radio for ESPN since 2020. With ESPN poised to enter bruising billion-dollar negotiations to retain its NBA media rights, Burke would help the network make history by becoming the first woman to call the NBA Finals on a television broadcast. Rivers and Al Michaels called the 2004 NBA Finals for Walt Disney's co-ABC. But the longtime NBA coach returned to the bench the following year eventually leading the Boston Celtics to the 2008 championship. He was fired by the Philadelphia Sixers, 76ers in May, following their Eastern Conference semifinals playoff loss to the Celtics. This week, Rivers said he is still determining his coaching future. I don't know what I'm going to do, he told ESPN. I'm just going to enjoy life. So that's what the article had to say there. Now, let me just quickly react to it. Number one, this doesn't surprise me. Uh, Why? Because J.J. Redick has built up a knack for saying things that generate headlines, that generates conversation. The network notices this, and this is something that I believe they like. Because he'll say something, next thing you know, it'll catch on like wildfire, then other people are talking about it, which brings them more attention, right? And then you have some people up there that say things, no one ever repeats it. No one ever goes over uh, 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 you know, an interaction between that person and another person. All of us have reacted to J.J. Reddick and Chris Mad Dog Russo, J.J. Reddick and Kendrick Perkins, J.J. Reddick and Stephen A. Smith. So J.J. Reddick generates a lot of attention, which also I, I would assume generates the network a lot of money. So for them, I think is a smart bet. Number two, he does know basketball. Is everybody perfect? Absolutely not. We all have our shortcomings. His, I believe, is that he's so pro player. But it doesn't mean that he doesn't know basketball. And number one, it doesn't mean that he doesn't move the needle, which is important. So, you know, more power to him. And if he's going to get a raise and go up the ranks, more power to him. If he's earned it, I have no issue with it. I'm only here report, <laughs> reporting the information. I'm not here standing in the way of anybody, uh, you know, progressing in their field. If that's what they're doing, and no problem. And ultimately, uh, the decision is going to come down, come down to ESPN. But I think what you're going to see moving into the future is you're going to see guys that have gone out there, created their own, their own audience, and then they're now bringing them into the fold. You just saw it with J.J. Redick. You just saw it with Pat, Pat McAfee. Be on the lookout for the next person, and I wouldn't be surprised if they go out there and get a Shannon Sharp. Now, if you're enjoying this show, be sure to follow us on Facebook at Dreamers Pro Official, Instagram at Dreamers Pro, and leave a review to let us know what you think about today's show. Now, let's continue to the next segment. Uh, Skip Bayless is becoming one of the most polarizing people in all of sports media, right? Because of his, obviously, his LeBron James takes, the way he treated his former partner, debate partner, uh, Shannon Sharp at, uh, what is it, at Undisputed FS1. And of course, some of the things that he said throughout the course of his career, he's made a lot of enemies. And this is black and white, whatever. I've heard people that are white call him an a-hole. I've heard people that are black. So it's not a it's not a racial thing uh, when it comes to Skip Bayless, right? It's not a racial thing. But nevertheless, for all the people out there uh, that seem to be critical about Skip Bayless, there's always been one person that has always maintained his loyalty to Skip Bayless. And that person has always been Stephen A. Smith. 
Stephen A. Smith has always been loyal to Skip Bayless because he gave him the opportunity to come back to work at ESPN, to come work on ESPN first take after he had left, right? So I, I feel like Stephen A. Smith forever feels indebted to Skip Bayless. And him constantly defending Skip is something that annoys a lot of people out there. And one of those people seems to be Dan Levitard, who now seems to be having a back and forth with uh, Stephen A. Smith, right? Dan Lebertard said to Stephen A. Smith on his show when he came there, he essentially said to him, he doesn't like what he has done, him and Skip Bayless have done to the sports media landscape. Basically feels like now they've turned this entire thing into a circus. And by the way, Stephen A. Smith took exception with those comments. He took exception with them. So recently, Stephen A. Smith put out a podcast episode that came out roughly a week or so ago where he was addressing a lot of the naysayers, people that feel like ESPN is going to fail. And one of the people that he called out uh, was Dan Lebertard himself. So what happened? Yesterday, Dan Lebertard in their show, they published um, a show. And in this show, Dan Lebertard was responding to a lot of the things that Stephen A. Smith said. Um, and he said essentially that, listen, I still believe that what you and Skip Bayless are doing to sports media is actually hurting the medium. So what we want to do is want to play exactly what Dan Lebertard had to say here in response to Stephen A. Smith and his constant defending of Skip Bayless. And then we're going to come back and react to it. Take a listen to that. I want to have a conversation about what's happened to sports television. Why is Skip Bayless at 70? See, this is the thing. Stephen A. respects Skip Bayless, who's a plague, because Skip Bayless gave Stephen A. the chance that he gave Shannon Sharp to do the thing of let's do white man, black man, and we'll do the dog whistle and sports will get dumber and I will spend 20 years chasing LeBron, who's only the athlete of our times, who deserves all sorts of praise. I'm going to situate myself as the hater and just get somebody loud and black across from me and we will fight. And that's what television is. And they are the number one program. But first take went from being what I thought was an embarrassment for the company into their hood ornament. That happened in the last 15 years. Last 10 years, it went from ESPN was a certain journalistic thing, and then it became this dumber thing that has less journalism in it and has Woj now just writing for the trailblazers. That happened in political journalism as well, though, right? If you look at CNN, that's exactly what happened to them, is they basically became this format for debate television, almost following the first take model. But it works. It works, of course. Of course, feed the dumb people. But are we dumb because they made us dumb? We want to be dumb. We start dumb. We watch dumb things. We consume it like cotton candy. And that's what wins. Yeah. But now there's that new form of media that targets the dumb people, but tells the dumb people they're the smart ones. Not to take additional shots at Joe Rogan, but that's like the audience. Like, no, everyone else is wrong. You're not dumb. In fact, get this. You're smarter than everybody else. Everything that you Googled that, that other time that thought maybe people thought that you were crazy for believing in that conspiracy theory. Here's someone else with some a bit of, bit of a reputation agreeing with you and fortifying your beliefs. You're smart, man. You're not dumb for watching this. Everyone else is dumb for not. But also smart is going dumb as a platform for morning television let's do a 10 I mean, morning television has always been dumb outside of like meet the press dude and, and cbs sunday morning and those audiences are limited compared to, the, to but it's a broader the net. Show. it's if you 
if you are trying to traffic in simply, how do I make the most money by getting the most audience? If it's going to be on television, I, it's a good question when you ask me it, because I don't know which started this. Did this start because people were dumb or did the dumb television make people dumber? Like, I, I don't I'm not sure what the answer to that question is as we discuss it. But it's obviously giving people what they want because it works. It's like symbiotic. Yeah, it's symbiotic. The, 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 it just goes in this like it's like a hurricane storm that keeps churning. And they look at numbers and they say, talk about Dak Prescott's contract for the 400th time in the dumbest way possible because the numbers tell us that really works. Every, every time I talk about any of this stuff, because the starting point on this discussion is why do you – he was saying, why do you keep talking about ESPN? I found ESPN relentlessly interesting before I got there, while I was there, and after I've left. It's been an amazing thing to witness a, a place in Bristol, Connecticut, a, a cable company, all of a sudden emerge from nowhere to be one of the great cultural brands anywhere in America and to be something that is the dominant thing in sports where if your hockey is on ESPN, more people will watch it. If your baseball is on ESPN, more people will watch it. And if they do not televise you, your sport will lose popularity because you need this particular partnership. They're a giant. And I've always believed uh, when I was there in, in what I felt like was an ombudsman's role, I've always believed that you get more credibility if you allow from inside the premises people to criticize what you're doing, talking about it the way people are talking about it on the outside. Like, try to be fair. Try to be objective. Every time I talk about it, because I left there, the words get stained with, well, he left and he's bitter. And I look at people like Stephen A. Smith and I'm like, you weren't listening to me while I was there. You were too busy shouting over me. So you heard what he had to say. Now, here's the thing. There's some things I want to quickly touch on. Number one, the, the, the debate. Skip Bayless is known as the godfather debate, right? He's the one that really took that thing to the next level uh, at ESPN first take and really made it a part of culture to the point where you see a lot of entertainers, movie stars coming on ESPN first take. So in, this embrace debate culture. You can see it permeating, uh, permeating all throughout the internet. Even today, you see various sports shows and guys are debating. A lot of that was, you know, a lot of that was birthed from ESPN, right? That was real, the real inception of that stuff where they really, they really perfected it. And uh, Skip Bayless has actually done various shows where he's kind of taken us behind the curtains to walk us through the inception of that show and how it ended up, how it ended up becoming what it is today, right? So that's, that's, a, that's absolutely true. I think what Dan Lebertard is saying is that now it has gotten to the point where people will say anything for the sake of debating, even if they don't believe it. And now people say, well, even go as far as saying outlandish things if they feel is going to gain, garner them some attention. He said he believes that sports media is actually getting dumber and it's making people dumber. And he feels like one of the people that is causing this is Skip Bayless. He's the one that had the, 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 the format of the black and white guy. And there's a reason that they did that, right? There's an actual reason why these shows always have one black guy and one white guy because there's a reason that they do that and it's been explained uh, in the past, right? They're trying to appeal to these two audiences. So that's the reason that they do it. They understand what they're doing. Um, but I think Dan Lebatar feels that, hey, listen, there has to be a better way to uh, to do sports media than this because now he feels like this thing has turned into a circus and a free-for-all. But, but as you heard some of his coworkers say, it's working. 
right? It's working. He himself even admitted that, that it's working. So some people may have the school of thought, which is if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Now, if you're enjoying this show, be sure to follow us on Facebook at Dreamers Pro Official, Instagram at Dreamers Pro, and leave a review to let us know what you think about today's show. Now, let's continue to the next segment. Dan Lebetard was formerly employed at ESPN. He had his own show, right? But since then, he's gone on to do his own thing with DraftKings and all of these guys, and he's doing his own thing, and he's having his own successful show. Recently, or a number of months ago, he brought on Stephen A. Smith to interview him. They discussed a range of things, but one of the things that Dan Lebetard said to Stephen A. Smith during that interview was he doesn't like what him and Skip Bayless have done to the sports media landscape. Stephen A. Smith pushed back. We moved on. Then what happened? The layoffs started to happen at ESPN by them laying off some pretty high-profile people like Max Kellerman, Keyshawn Johnson, uh, Jeff Van Gundy, uh, Jalen Rose, right? And a lot of people started talking. Then we understand, we found out that the reason that they're doing that is due to court cutting because ESP, ESPN has a $5.5 billion debt that they need to service, right? Which is real. And if you guys know, if you borrow money, huh, interest. Some, some, people, some people are so knee-deep knee, knee in interest that they're not even paying off their principal. They're just paying off the interest. It can it, it can become a bottomless pit paying back loans, especially to banks. So they started coming up with various ways um, uh, and perturbations to find a way to deal with this debt, right? Then what happened? Stephen A. Smith then came out on his podcast less than a week or so ago, and he addressed all of the chatter that's been surrounding ESPN because he, a lot of people have been saying that ESPN is on a slow uh, you, you know, they're, they're slowly declining over time, right? Like Clay Travis uh, and others. And Dan Lebertard had some thoughts about ESPN. So Stephen A. Smith, in his show, he addresses Dan Lebertard by name. And one of the things that he says to him is that, listen, I don't, I don't understand. Why weren't you this vocal when you were working at ESPN and collecting all of those checks? If you felt this way, why did you stay there all, for all those years and collect those checks? Why, I mean, why did you do that? So what happened yesterday? Coming through the internet, and a video was suggested to me from Dan Lebatar's show. It's about a 26-minute clip or so. And in about the first 12 to 15 minutes, he was essentially addressing Stephen A. Smith. So what we want to do is we want to play exactly what Dan Lebatard had to say in response to some of the things that Stephen A. Smith had to say, and then we want to come back and react to his comments. Take a listen to what he had to say here. I do not listen to the Stephen A. Smith No Mercy podcast. I am an admirer of Stephen A. Smith's story. It uh, doesn't have a whole lot of precedent in my lifetime in journalism. A guy gets let go by ESPN and somehow makes it back stronger than ever, dominates the network, will now be someone who gets to have resources with First Take to make it bigger and bigger and bigger as Skip Bayless looks for a partner as Skip Bayless takes two months off and they try to figure out if Richard Sherman can fill the role of Shannon Sharp, and as it is rumored all over the place that Shannon Sharp might go to ESPN and be a part of what Stephen A. Smith is now doing under ESPN's umbrella, and if you're watching him closely, a lot of stuff outside of ESPN's umbrella because that man is hungrier than anyone I've ever met in this business about accruing and whatever's next for him is going to be giant. I consider him a friend and I'm impressed by him. I don't like what he's done to sports television. I think he's helped make it dumber. This has bothered him that I said this to him the last time that we talked. And I would like to talk to him in the future in a way that is conversational instead of performative about 
how dumb sports debate television has made everything. But I heard this people sent me that Stephen A. Smith went after me, went after me loudly, because that's the only way he goes after people. And this is what he had to say. I've only seen it. I haven't actually heard it. I've only seen aggregated quotes that I read, that he said something. I didn't even know what he was reacting to, that something I did was bull. Tell me you haven't watched Highly Questionable without telling me you haven't watched Highly Questionable. You think I was debating my father on that show? Stephen A. Smith doesn't have time. He's too busy talking all over the rest of the network to watch any of what's happening on shows see, elsewhere yeah, on the network. So if your only experience with Highly Questionable is seeing the three shot of Bomani, Bobby, and Dan, well, you got one of the key elements there, white guy, black guy, as we know, in debate culture. And you have sports clips going on in the background. I would also assume debate, debate show. Fair enough. And that isn't actually, I didn't hear in there any of the sound that I read or much of the sound that I read because he also said uh, about like, why do you say that? Why do you say things when you leave the employer when you didn't say those things while taking money from the employer? I don't think that's a fair criticism. I got in trouble all the time because I was always saying at ESPN microphones while taking ESPN's money that ESPN should be covered the way it covers others and it's a real blind spot at the network that it doesn't. But I understand why he would arrive at this particular viewpoint. The part about this that was, to me, in the shadows and more objectionable than some of the stuff that we're talking about is his problem's not actually with me. It's with what Jamel Hill said on our platform. And this is more complicated because I'm a much easier target for him to put a name on than going after the black female that he also respects that he doesn't want to start that back and forth when it's easier to just frame it under me when I didn't say the thing he objected to, which I understand why you he merely objected. said one of the things that he objected well, to. Well, no, I believe that what he objected to, let's play this sound from Jamel on our show. I believe that the strongest objection by him, and I understand being insulted by this, if you're him, is one phrase in the sound we're about to play for you. Thinking about, you know, my situation is like they were reacting to a moment then. That moment said that people didn't want to hear any political talk, any racial talk, any social justice talk. Not that that was something Mike and I were doing every day on SportsCenter. We weren't. They let a false narrative persist about our show that um, people just kind of ran away with. They let the idiots in the room control the conversation. People like Clay Travis. That's what happened. And because they allowed those people to direct their course of action, they panicked. And suddenly they were very intentional about the things that they were doing in our show. They wanted... Black faces, they didn't want necessarily black voices. And that's how it came off, right? And so mm -hmm. because of that, ultimately, we wound up paying, we wound up paying the price. Yep. When you say the phrase, black faces, not black voices, and Stephen A. Smith is still one of the black faces at ESPN, and you're suggesting that he's establishment, that you're braver than he is because he's a part of the system that wrongs people. I understand him getting bothered by that insult, but your problem's not with me, Stephen A. Smith. You should take that up with her publicly if the objection is, I don't like being told that I am somebody who's kept by the company. 
even as you write in your book that you wake up every day thinking of ways to make money for the company and you're the one they throw out there when Dana White gets in trouble and they've got all sorts of conflict of interest and they need somebody to give a voice to something and you talk about how how you're friends with Dana White like your your objection is not actually with me and I would love to discuss this with him in a form that wasn't let's see who can win an argument you let's, mean debate? <laughs> yeah. Like, let's just talk like human beings. As you don't want to play the road game? So you heard what he had to say. Now, if you listen carefully, he brought up a part about Jamel Hill, right? And when she made the comment that um, they just, they don't want what black faces think or black voices or something like that. And Dan Lebetard is essentially saying, listen, all of this energy that you have for me shouldn't be directed towards me. It should be directed towards Jamel Hill. But I'm an easier target because I'm a male, so no one is going to say anything. But if you go if you go after a black lady, then it's going to create another scenario, right? Which is the first thing. The second thing that Dan Lebatar said was, wait a minute, wait a minute. While I was there, I was complaining. He said, I did get into trouble. He said, the reason you didn't hear me was because maybe you were too busy shouting, which is, that was, that was a shot. <laughs> that was a shot. That was a shot. You know, my opinion on this is this. I feel like Dan Lebetard is 100% comfortable in his skin. I feel like he is happy that he jumped ship when he did, that he's now mastering the independent sports media space and he's thriving, doing very, very well. Um, so I think I feel like he's speaking from a position of power. I feel like he's probably looking at those people that are still stuck on that ship like, yo, bro, when are you guys going to strike out on your own? And then you have Stephen A. Smith who's saying, you know, who's, who's, who's reading all the numbers like, yo, what's the number one? What are you talking about? Why do you have all of these things to say? But to me, I don't think this will be the end. I think Stephen A. Smith is going to respond to some of the comments that Dan Lebatar made. Stephen A. Triff, Stephen A. Smith tried to make it seem like some of the things happening at ESPN is not really happening. No, my, my, my fellow, it is. They fired those people. That was real. If it was all peaches and cream, they would not have fired them. Right? Them losing subscribers is a real thing. Them finding ways to now... Uh, uh, reorganize the company and re-strategize is a real thing. You guys heard the article that I read around Bob Iger talking about, you know, Bob, CEO of Disney, talking about ESPN, talking about how they're looking for a strategic partner. Thank you for listening to today's show. And don't forget to let us know what you think about today's show on iTunes or any of your favorite podcasting platforms.